0: And the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peterson, and today we have a really cool guest that's going to talk about what I think is super important right now, and that is financing, like getting a mortgage, understanding what's going on in the economy right now when it comes to rates and the different products, the CMBS, bridge notes. And really, we're going to talk about a little bit of where's the opportunity in today's marketplace, buying at a higher level. So I really think that this is going to be a really great podcast. I know we've got some really cool concepts. And what I love about our guest, Paul Winterrod, Paul is both an expert debt provider, but he's also an active multifamily investor, both as a general partner and a limited partner as well. So he's been in the game, learned the game, knows it inside and out, and really his passion is lending. And you'll find that in today's marketplace, having a good mortgage broker, I think is more important than ever. It really is because it's about the debt that you can get and believe it or not, lending is still relationship bound. It really is, especially when you're talking about not your Freddie or Fannie loans, but those regional bank, those lenders that you can get loans that you may need, especially right now because we're all trying to get out of the bridge notes that we got into three years ago. And so having great relationships with the right mortgage brokers can help really make your day. I know it's made mine. So with that, let's get into it. Hold on though, before we get into it though, I forgot, I need to post this. We are about one week away from opening up the Kahuna Boardroom. So we have an event scheduled for February. I think it's February 16th, 17th, and 18th. I'm actually not exactly sure. My wife just gave me the dates. But I'm telling you, if you are looking to really get educated into the multifamily space, the Kahuna Boardroom, my event, is unlike any other that you'll ever find. We have, we go over how to find deals, how to find money, how to operate. It's really an A to Z type of program, and it's very intense. I will give you everything that I've ever created. And just, my goal is, when I sat down and created this program, last year we only did it one time, this year we're gonna do it twice. But my goal was, I wanted to create a way, I wish, this is what I wish when I was going through education, is I wish someone would just teach it all. Like from A to Z and not have to have me buy another course or upsell to another whatever. And no one's ever really done that. And tell us. I feel like tell us. We just said, you know what? I don't want to upsell. I don't want to create. I don't want to have a bunch of other people coming in to pitch something. So we don't sell at our boardroom event. All we do is teach. It is the best multifamily education you'll get in a three-day period of time. That will blow your mind. So if that's you, go to KahunaBoardroom.com. It will be uploaded and ready to go next week week. So kahuna boardroom.com and we will see you on the other side. All right, let's jump into it. Hey, Paul, welcome to the show, brother. Hey, great to see you, Corey. I am excited about this episode because I think it's timely because I think we're going to go into a place that everybody's really interested. when in. We're talking about mortgages and rates and things like that. And I just think we have a really nice thing planned. But can you take a quick minute, though, and just let everybody know your story? Because not only are you a mortgage broker, but you actually do this business buying multifamily property. So would love to hear kind of your backstory and how you got started. Sure. That's great. I've always
2: had an interest in real estate. And I think coming out of my undergrad years in college, I'm I'm kind of mid-career at this point, but I was definitely intimidated by commercial real estate, thinking the only thing in real estate was residential. And so I had dabbled in that and I'm a golfer, Corey. I don't know if you knew that, but I played in, in college and I was very apparent that I'd be very hungry if I pursued that professionally, but I had a lot of along the way playing golf. It's still a hobby of mine, but was a little lost early in my career. I had a couple of different sales jobs, but again, always in the back of my mind, I had an interest in real estate. I tried a spec home or two, did a couple flips and mixed results, came to a, an inflection point in my career was actually doing some internet marketing work, and fortunately, I know it's cliche and a lot of people say it, the best thing that ever happened to me was the day my boss invited me to his office, and the HR department was there and said, uh, thanks, but time to move on. I've had that so, happen. <laughs> yeah, but without a doubt, it's changed my life for the better.
1: It forces clarity it, sometimes, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I did take some time. To really get clear about what I wanted to do the rest of my life and career, and put a lot of thought and energy into that. And it was crystal clear that it was real estate. And as I kept going down that path, just a confluence of interests of mine really pointed me towards that mortgage broker space in the commercial real estate world. I've spent eight years full time, fully immersed in that business and selfishly wanted to get involved in that business to pay the bills because I knew if I could learn and understand how to finance a deal, it'd be easier for me to get involved in deals myself.
1: Yeah. It's kind of like there's lots of ways to get there and that's a unique way, but you got paid along the way as well.
2: Yeah, definitely. So actually quicker than I thought would happen through developing a network and understanding how deals work. I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah. Found a couple of local deals. Sales broker and I had become friends and we saw an opportunity and we said, hey, you know, this is the time we jumped in full steam ahead. It was a 20 unit heavy lift value add multifamily deal in a great location in Salt Lake City. And that got the ball rolling and subsequently did four other multifamily value add type deals. And what I learned is although it can be very lucrative and profitable, you're running a business. It was a second job, right? The GP side of the business takes a lot of work. And so managing both my mortgage business and that GP side of things became a bit overwhelming. And so I decided to scale back and get more involved in the LP side of things, which some people as they're coming into the industry might think that sexy or interesting look at some of the potential with on the gp side but the lp side is truly passive it's one of the most passive things in the world that i'm aware of With fantastic
1: with great upside right with like it's great returns it's amazing returns in my opinion and you partner with the right operator yeah definitely
2: and so i've really enjoyed that even had some great exits on the lp side which were were fantastic and so that's a little bit of the history.
1: Yeah, so that's a great story, though. Just kind of like breaking that down, you know, wanting to get into real estate, choosing the mortgage route. It's really interesting because not everybody is made for general partnership. Believe me when I'm telling you this, it's a lot of work. People don't realize how much work it is. And it's a lot of stress and all the pressure is on you, the operator. And your LPs don't really feel that as much. Now, they're just counting on you as the GP to make sure you get it done right and not all gps work with the same code of ethics so there's that but once you find the right team paul do you feel like that's where you're like okay i feel good about this right and you can see what you're going and it's again you have your time back right yeah absolutely so you're still in and you found that you probably love the mortgage side of it as well right i really do right i always say there's lots of ways to yuma and everybody thinks that they want to get into multifamily as a gp But there's lots of side tracks and off-ramps that are just as profitable and just as lucrative. I mean, the game of real estate is very encompassing and huge. And so mortgage broker is a great side exit that's still very profitable. It's commercial real estate. And again, you got to find your passion, I would say, whatever your passion is. So as we get into the mortgage thing, so there's lots going on right now. (laughs) <laughs> right, there, there sure is. and I think our audience definitely is interested in I'll call it state of the economy state of the marketplace but can you give us a Paul? give us a breakdown of where interest rates are at today and what's the climate like what's CMBS what's Fannie Mae what are some of the bigger institutional lenders what do you see in that space
2: yeah we'll drill down into some of those specifics as we go but from a general sentiment this may be the most challenging time in lending that we've faced in this this century, not necessarily the last hundred years, but we've been through 2008. I wasn't in the business. I was definitely alive and understood what was going on in 2008, but it was pretty simple right then. There just wasn't lending.
0: At Kahuna Investments, we partner with passive investors to create award-winning communities families love to call home. If you want to learn more about our company and our process, go to www.kahunainvestments.com and click the deal room.
1: And if there was, it was not 8%. Yeah. That was for like hard money, right? Like, yeah
2: things were shut down. It was Real estate was broken. It was a swear word and all those things. So it it was pretty simple. Today on CNBC, they're talking about, well, maybe we'll be in a recession. Well, the government's changing the definition of the recession. Like, come on, people. We've
1: been in the recession,
2: right? (laughs) I think it's here. Let's quit playing around. But it is really hard to get a good grasp on what's going on because unemployment remains low. Consumer sentiment remains high. But interest rates are going up. So affordability of single family housing is unbearable almost, you know, when you look at it.
1: So I always say like, this is the season of settling for less. Definitely. So like, let's say you normally $3,000 payment on a just a single family home, right? He's a single family home. That's going to buy you probably like a $600,000 home, maybe a little bit more. I don't know exactly where those rates are, but not today. So at 8%, or it was six and a half or whatever the rates are for that loan, which I think are continue to climb, now it buys a much less expensive home, right? Yeah. Maybe that's 400,000, maybe not even four, I don't know. But prices have come down, but not that much. No, right. Yeah. And so, but it's our buying power that's eroded right? So yeah. if you normally accustomed to, you're like, oh, gosh, dang, because some of us are sitting at those 3% loans. Some of us refied when it was 3%. Thank goodness. Yeah. And then you're like, wait a second. Now, if I go buy a new home, if I want to sell my home, I can still make some profit because values have went up. That's the one thing that I've seen across the board. And I know we're talking single family homes. and We're going to segue this into the multifamily side, but I think good way for everybody to understand what's going on is to me at the point I want to like to bring home is. We all have to settle for less. And I think it's really interesting how that's playing out, but I see it playing out that way. If you're trying to buy a property now, on the commercial side, though, it's a little different, though, because sellers, we buy on income and cash flow, and interest rate affects that tremendously. Very much so.
2: Yeah. So... Very valid points, Corey. And just to put a cap on where the market is, and there's a lot of of conversation around it, we could spend hours (laughs) dissecting it. We want to be succinct. There's just confusion out there. Lenders still want to be lending. They know they need to be lending. And goalposts are changing. The Fed's going to probably raise rates again here. We're just before the November Fed meeting. And so that's about a week away. And Change again, but that's what's going on. Rates of quickly, to give you some ballpark, when we're talking bank debt, I'm hearing anything from very high fives to low sevens on perm loans from banks and credit unions. Uh, quoted an agency deal in Texas just the end of last week. And depending on the structure and the prepayment, again, we're looking in that six to seven percent range on agency, CMBS. Typically a little outside of that, probably low low sevens for the best deals there.
1: So bridge loans out there anymore?
2: Yeah, it seems to be the construction and then bridge loans, they tend to be the lenders that pucker up the quickest in tough times. And so we are seeing some bridge lenders just get out of the market. Again, been quoting some construction deals and the sentiment there is, Yeah, we're still lending. Some have removed, but they're being very selective. So they want a big balance sheet and loan to cost. I've seen quotes at 50% loan to cost on multifamily construction deals and strong market. And whereas 75% would have been a no-brainer.
1: Yeah. Now, that's really crazy, too, because they're like, oh, the slowdown's there so much. But like on the other side of that equation is, and maybe we're not there yet, right? Because I think about like as we're starting to slow down, building starts are slowing down spec homes there's uh, new builders are trying to like not have any spec homes i think right so i think there's been an overall slowdown in construction overall which probably should bring down cost yeah and hopefully
2: we see that and hopefully this whole
1: supply chain conversation but we're not there yet i don't think exactly right and this is the part where the confusion is
2: yeah. And the demand's there. I had a conversation with a family member just last night. that's a home builder in Idaho. They've done a lot of business and he's like, we're not doing anything. I mean, but there's tons of people that want to buy homes still, but it just comes back to that affordability that we talked about. So it's only going to create, especially in the multifamily world, Further shortages, which yep. we're already experiencing, which long term is only looks good for the multifamily investment. Yeah,
1: so we've got a development that we want to start as well, right? Like we already own the land, which is a student housing complex right next to a college, and we own about 10 acres that we want to develop, right, of and add additional units. And it's very interesting to see we were going to start that project almost a year and a half ago, but then that's when costs were spiraling out of control. We're like, dude, we could start this project and we may be sunk. And we own the land and we're in no hurry. So we're like, let's table it. Well, now I want to restart. And I think the great thing with student in my mind is it's not really affected by the economy as much, right? Especially in a state like Georgia that have a program that, with their lottery, right? That pays for kids to make A's and B's, they get tuition paid for. So parents have usually money for housing. Because they don't have to pay for tuition. So I was like, this could be a great thing. Because I was like, man, costs are going to go down. It's going to be more affordable. Only if I can get a loan. So that's going to be where the juice meets the squeeze is, can I make it all financially make sense and work? Yeah. So, Paul, let's talk about also. So here's a caveat that I wonder if people are thinking about. We talked about it before we started the show, which was, interest rates are high now, but will they be high forever? History, I think, tells us it'll come down. Yeah.
2: And I don't have a crystal ball, and it's risky to get these comments on tape, but we'll play the game. Anyway.
1: Yeah. So, well, I mean, I think long-term, I'm saying five years or longer, right? Oh, yeah. right. We'll calm down. Here's my general sentiment. We're, we're talking U.S. here,
2: and other governments did similar things, but we... Say what you will about COVID. We were not willing to accept any sort of recession or economic slowdown as a product we of pumped COVID. So much money. Which yeah. we overstimulated. We overstimulated. Now we're paying the price and we're like, oh no, we got to unwind this. So we know that the Fed. Yeah.
1: And is the government good at doing this stuff? No. So they always do it over to the excess one way or the other. Whatever way they're swinging, they swing too far every time. Doesn't matter. Exactly
2: but we know they're always pulling levers and we know it's bad for business if you're a politician to be in a recession or to have 7-8% interest rates when everyone's used to 3-4. So my thought is and I don't know when this will be if it's 12 months if it's 18 if it's 6 or 24 you pick your number but we do have elections coming up in a couple of years we they are going to start pulling those levers to stimulate the economy that they.
1: Ratchet back down, get everything back to us. We got an election
2: to win. So I feel fortunate. I've remained busy in my mortgage business. My half joke to friends and clients is as soon as I've got nothing to do, that is my signal to go out and buy everything I can. Because at that point, interest rates are going to be the worst they are. The sentiment's going to be the worst. No one's going to want to do deals. And that's going to be the flexion moment.
1: That is the time you do deals. So, Paul, you hit it right nail on the head. In 2000, so I started full-time. In, I was starting in 2005, but I really, I got that call from when I was a financial advisor brought me into HR in 2009. Best thing ever happened to me, <laughs> Right. And so, I went a fledge into real estate when 2009 was happening right after the Great Recession. No one thought real estate was the answer. And I'm like, everything's on sale. Every book that I ever read, the biggest upswings are in down economies. And that was one that we probably yeah. may not see again. But it's the same thing yeah. happening with the interest rate side of the things, right? So I want to set it up, but just like if you bought something at like maybe it was on a, I mean, let's call it six or seven percent, the highest number I heard you say so far, right? Which I think it probably will get there. Absolutely. Right. It could even go possibly higher. We don't have crystal balls, but the Fed's not saying they're stepping off the gas or like they just come in every time swinging 75 bips, right? Which is making the treasury go crazy, which making the bond market people are losing. Now, something's going to break. I don't know what it is, but because the bond market is doing back bends right now. <laughs> but unless you're getting a new bond, then you're happy. But if you bought something and if you, this is the perspective, I always say, I try to ask investors, are you a long-term player? Like we're not in the single family fix and flip business. I don't believe multifamily's yeah. ever been set up that way. I know some people play it that way, but most of us, I believe, in the multifamily game are somewhat longer visioned investors. We'll call it five to seven years. If you think this through, if you can buy something and make sure it cash flows or breaks even, or you can find a value add deal that you can buy at an 8% rate, and it still works because remember, sellers have to sell and make it work. And there's gonna be some sellers that don't wanna sell, but they've lost their deal to the bank. That's coming, by the way, right? Because yep. all three-year deals, all the bridge lo- no- loans that are out there, the bridge people are really nervous right now.
2: Well, I think, I think it's important to pause here, Corey, just to help all the listeners understand the landscape. So as cap rates got so tight and so low, historically low the last couple of years in the market, there's still tens of capital and demand for multifamily. We'll just talk about that. The only way to pencil, and I had this call a hundred times, they wanted leverage. They want, hey, I need 70, I need 80% leverage. Well, there's no way to do it on a perm loan. So it was bridge loan, bridge loan, bridge loan. It's been 80% bridge loans on acquisitions for the last three, four years. Well, they're going to start coming due. And the takeout was all projected at 4% interest rates. Well, let's assume we're just at six, right? There's either going to be a capital call or there's going to be a forced sale Or there's just going to be a flat refi if someone's lucky, right? If they've really executed their business plan well. And I don't want to be doom and gloom, but there will be opportunities when these come up. So,
1: listen, I've got one more bridge line I've got to put together. One more. I've put three of them together. Like, I got them squared. I'm like, oh my God. Thank God we were on the gas and raising rates, right? I got one that's a challenge. And I don't have the answer yet. The answer is like, we're telling the bank, you got to extend us. You got to give us another year extension, right? And, They're probably going to do it because they already know what's on the writing on the wall. And we've been a great borrower, but there's just not a takeout unless we have a million dollars of new equity.
2: Yeah. And that's not a fun conversation.
1: No, no, it's like, it's the it's a horrible conversation. But again, those are happening. I'm experiencing it in my portfolio a little bit, some stuff worse than others, but we all were doing it. Like I'm not the only one that was doing bridge loans because they were very attractive. They would give you all the rehab money and all, the, they were a good tool and no one would think that rates are gonna go to 8% or 7%. Like now on some of these loans, I'm so thankful that I bought a cap. <laughs> Right? I got yeah. one. I got one at 575 and one at five, eight, And they're paying right now. Those caps are paying. I'm so glad. So thankful. So that, and by the way, what is the cap? A cap is it pays for the delta. So you can say, I'm going to buy a cap at blank rate. And once it hits above that threshold, it starts making the payment to the lender. Most of the time, just how the lender wants it set up. It'll basically bridge the delta on a variable note, variable rate mortgage. And so that in itself, it's some I have a deal right now where one's paying $12,000 every month, and that's gold. I just wish yeah. I would have had it for yeah. four years. I have it for three years. And I'm like, if I just would have <laughs> yeah. uh, had it for... But I think maybe what I get out of that, I think it all depends on how far, like I think that's the question, right? Is how soon will the Fed react to go the other way? Right now, they're not even signaling anything. They're not even saying, Lord, I, would, I wouldn't be if we see another 50 basis points we 75. What do you think, Paul?
0: Are you ready for retirement? The majority of Americans are not. Failing Social Security and dated financial planning practices put strains on many retirees' finances. 46% of Americans admit they are not taking steps to prepare for the likelihood they outlive their retirement savings. Luckily, it's not too late. Diversify your portfolio. At Kahuna Investments, we partner with passive investors to create award-winning communities families love to call home. To learn more about our company and our process, go to www.kahunainvestments.com and click the deal room.
2: Everything I've heard and seen at 75 in November and perhaps another following that and then perhaps cool the jets. They've got to stop inflation and that's, that's really all they can do to do it.
1: It's the lever, right? It's the lever that they have now, but it also creates enormous pressure on, think about our debt of our country, right? We have massive debt. So when they pull this lever, yeah. it puts us more in debt. And at a rate now that's so alarming, it's not even funny. So I don't think they can't keep it there forever. They just can't. No, no. They won't be able to service the debt. Yeah, right. Kind ton of short-term variable. They want it back to zero. <laughs> yeah. And that's my history, so that's what I look at when I think about, okay, where does it go and how long does it stay bad? I don't think it stays bad forever because it can't. We're already seeing signs of slowing down and things are changing. One of the biggest indicators for me, I think, is single-family homes, listings, or price reductions. We're real estate's really local, but I live in Phoenix, and we're seeing price reductions yeah. galore. Days on market are getting longer. Inventories back... We're not even to, like, normal yet. We still have zero inventory, but it's starting to come in. Yeah, People, because you always want to be the smart guy. Oh, I bought it right before that. But now everybody knows that rates are and values are going down. So now you feel like a sucker if I'm buying now, right? Or now it's just, just the pendulum swing. Now it's not a buyer's or a seller's market. It's becoming more of a buyer's market for the bikers that have cash.
2: Yeah, and commercially, I think there's still a disconnect between interest rates and cap rates because they've gone... Gotten- they're both insanely low, right? There's definitely a correlation. And we've seen as interest rates have gone down and cap rates have compressed, they're
1: going to expand. And to how, to what extent, we don't know. Rents are still increasing as well. So here's the thing, that I'm still raising rents. Now, there was a point like six months last year, six to eight months ago, we made the most stupid ra- rent increases that I thought, there's no way we can get it. And then we got it. And we're like, we'll add another $50 on it. see if we get that. We get it, right? Wow. Now, we've stopped raising rents, right? We're not lowering them yet. And we're still getting them. And we're still feeling, we're still staying occupied. There's still good news for owner-operators out there that values, people are paying, right? Yeah. Except, Paul, I think this is what I've noticed. I've got a couple of C properties, right? And mm-hmm. those, when we raise rents $450 a door, that whole thing of we, you're going to have to accept less, Is so clear because it makes more sense as a business, like running the business, for us to non-renew people and find the other person that really wants it. And so the people that are going to have to move out of your property, they're going to have to go probably to a lower class property that they can afford, right? Yeah. And I think, again, I think that happens no matter what income level you're at. So. Just imagine it cascading all the way down to whatever level you're at. So that's the sad part of what inflation does is it wrecks people's buying power. Yep. But on the other side of uncertainty, I think opportunity is abundant for people that know how to find needles in haystacks. I agree, I agree. A lot of people are on the
2: sidelines waiting to see what happens and there's always opportunity, right? You just have to understand what's going on and my recommendation to all my clients in the mortgage side is, Even if we need to pay a little more for agency debt that has a step down prepayment penalty, let's do that. I know that's gonna potentially reduce proceeds a little bit because hey, you're paying 20 basis points higher in rate to get a step down structure. There's a lot of different structures out there. Yield maintenance is the default and the lowest rate, but you're so handcuffed with that. And especially as rates go down, that prepayment penalty is just gonna be tremendous. And so I would steer clear of that as much as possible. And there's a way to structure it about right. that, that prepayment.
1: It's all going to be it's about structure and finance, really. This is where I think you've got to work with a mortgage broker more closely than ever. Wouldn't you say, Paul? I am biased, admittedly, but I
2: wholeheartedly agree. I
1: mean, it's a fact. Like, me and my broker, I mean, listen, we are talking about this shit almost every day or every other day because we've got deals in play, right? We've got refis that have to get done that are just timing is horrible but it's like we've got to get it done and so we're trying to find the right bank and we've had to switch to where some of these deals that were bridge i'll tell you who's been our little secret lender is the regional banks Regional banks will come in and do a three-year, five-year note, but they want some recourse. So you've got to be willing to sign a little bit of recourse. They won't make you full recourse, but they'll do a a piece of it, and you can negotiate that a little bit. But that's been a nice place to be able, because they have a decent exit strategy where I could go find when the market does change, that we can go out and get in place that Freddie or Fannie or the CNBS or whatever it is, you know, on some tougher projects that are quite not quite there yet, that could be a great option.
2: Yeah, I've definitely placed a lot with, with regional lenders. It's tricky landscape, but again, just to tell you a little story on some of the challenges in the marketplace and also benefits of working with a mortgage broker, working on a acquisition deal. And it wasn't a syndicated deal, just a mom and pop type scenario. And gone through everything, everything looked good. We checked all the boxes. Well, this is the economic climate had changed and the lender's appetite had changed in the two months of due diligence, right? And so it goes to a behind closed door loan committee that needs unanimity, and there's 12 people and All of a sudden, we thought it was a layup, and they turned the deal down. They just said they didn't like it and didn't want to do it.
1: I wish I had a dollar for every time that's happened to me. (laughs) Ghost committee, and all of a sudden, it's a great deal, and all of a sudden, well, Corey, you're like, what in the hell, right? What in (laughs) the hell?
2: It's maddening. It's maddening. I've got to color my hair, and the gray (laughs) sneaks through. But patting myself on the back a little bit, it's super frustrating, but I... Had to hustle and use my relationships and was able to find an alternative lender that would agree to use the third-party reports. And we were able to, it's an acquisition taking time bomb. The seller didn't think it was financeable. We proved him wrong and we got the deal done in under 30 days after that
1: denial. And Paul, that is, you just named it right there, relationship. I'm telling you, lending is still a relationship business, More than ever, especially when the tide goes out, you've got people that you know, like, hey, there's still lenders out there say, I'll do it. And they'll go out and make it happen with their committee because they have the pool in their committee. And if one guy or if they get the right guy to say yes, everybody else falls in line. And knowing who that guy is. Yep.
2: We got a little drunk on the terms of this other lender that was super attractive and well below everyone else in the market. And so it was easy to make that decision initially. But once that got turned down, certainty of execution became really important. And that's, again, you're not going to brag to your buddies on the ski slopes or the golf course about the certainty of execution you got on a deal. You tend to brag about your low interest rate. Uh, but getting
1: a deal done term sheets are sometimes bullshit right (laughs) yeah this is my new question to all lenders i have one mortgage broker but we've had this happen and he knows that he's like Corey. i've never done a loan with this guy so i don't know i want to make sure he'll let me know when he's like they sent us this it looks like it's the best terms but i've never done business and i'm telling you you may take this deal but your anxiety level is high and you're very aware of watching the process Because more than not, something breaks along the way. and so I'll say one tip that's hugely
2: important working with regional banks that I think is is valuable for everyone listening is ask the question, how far up the food chain is the term sheet or has it gone? Has it been pre-flighted? There are lenders that will just put something together. They'll get it in front of you. It's quick. It's like, oh, great. They got back to me so fast. But nobody's seen it. Nobody's blessed it. It may take a week or two to do some actual underwriting, to get it in front of the right people that can pre-flight it and say, hey, we like this deal, we're comfortable with this structure. And getting that pre-flight as industry terminology or just getting the right eyes on it is very important, especially today to get multiple people on board and buying in and comfortable with the structure and the deal. More than ever. So
1: I think it all comes down to, again, just like brokers have relationships with all the vendors and all the different regional banks, the banks they have, that's how vital the relationship was with the buyer and your broker as well. Some people try to do this all on their own. They have their own in-house department. I think that's a lot of work. It's a lot of wasted time. I think you find more value in going to find a deal than it is trying to do a broker's job. Most of us are not equipped to do the broker's job, right? But the ones that love it, they do it well. At the end of the day, Freddie and Franny have their set rules, but lots of things fall in the middle and in the cracks and in that weird space that it's relationship-based. And if you've got a good broker that works the business right, that's what they do is I think they leverage all these things and it really works in the end. It makes a good lending situation and where all parties win. Would you say that?
2: Our interests are aligned. I joke with bankers all the time and we have our banter, but most people on the lending side have some sort of salary. As a mortgage broker, I'm complete. And some do, but the vast majority don't. So it's eat what you kill. You're highly incentivized to get the deal done because that's how we
1: survive. And that is the business too. That is absolutely the business. So Paul, as we get ready to wrap this one up, Any books or anything that you've been reading lately that's really moved you, or that you want to share? I'd love to.
2: Yeah, it's not really immersed in the real estate world, but I've really gotten into and started following Joe Dispenza. I'm not sure if you you know that name. Becoming Supernatural is is a book I've read. It's really about it's labeled as kind of quantum physics and a lot of neuroscience and that sort of thing. It's about really using your thoughts and your brain and to create. The life that you want. And it's been a fun rabbit hole that I've been going down lately. have been enjoying that of late. Interesting.
1: Yeah. We'll put it in our show notes too, as well. So if you want to look at our show notes, guys, and you can find that book. I'm probably going to get a copy. I love stuff like that. It ties into what I believe as well. And so any final comments, what would you say for people that are looking for a mortgage broker? What should they be asking? What should they be looking for?
2: Sure. There's a lot of questions you can ask, but Not all mortgage brokers are created equal, and this may be a little plug for what I do. The typical mortgage broker model is they build a network of a dozen, maybe 50 different lenders that they know and that they've worked with and they can keep tabs on. It's a pretty analog world. Commercial real estate in general, the lending world, it's not on the forefront of technology typically or his historically that's evolving and changing but 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 slowly the company i'm a part of now it's called stacksource and Relatively newer company, started in 2016, but we've done over a billion dollars in loans. We crossed that threshold this year, but we've built our business on technology. So really in that fintech space. So we've got a a deal entry portal. This is available to the public on stacksource.com or I'll enter deals in the same way someone could go do that themselves. That entry portal is going to ask a number of questions about the deal, leverage, recourse, location, asset class. That's tied to a lender database that we've developed and we have people pointed on to update continuously. There's over 1,700 different lenders and loan programs in that database for all asset classes. And so I can drill down based on the information I have about any particular deal all across the U.S., and say, okay, this matched with 12 lenders, this matched with 86 lenders. And this way, our goal and our vision is to not only deliver a couple options, viable options, but to actually deliver the marketplace to our clients. By leveraging technology and we can get the deal in front of 80 different lenders, not all of them are gonna respond or have an appetite for that deal, but we can deliver the most
1: uh, viable quotes as anyone out there right instead of just having your four or five you have your, a big database where it goes out and everybody that's going to quote on that you can get a lot more resumes uh, term sheets to the table possibly right that's huge that's a question people can ask you know how how do you source your lenders what's your
2: every deal's different sure. right and that's what i love about this business even though there's similarities every deal has its unique functions and there's a lot of different variables so generalities are it's helpful I'll say this, a more productive conversation rather than what are interest rates today or what rate can you get me? I can opine I'm going to have a pretty good idea, but I don't know till I take a deal to market. But being prepared to have a conversation about, hey, this is the NOI of the property, having a rent roll, having a vision for what you're going to do to it if it's value add or what's your exit strategy and having your... Personal financial statement put together. There's a lot of things that you can do to have a more meaningful conversation. So when you're asking or talking to a mortgage broker about the deal, they can drill down and get you in the right place a lot quicker rather than saying, What's an interest rate? I need those 12 answers anyway to even give you a-
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, awesome. If people want to get a hold of you, how do they get a hold of you? Email is probably
2: best. Let's put that in the show notes. It's my first and last name, Paul.Winner wrote at Stack Source. But if we can get that in the Stack notes, yep, absolutely. Great.
1: Perfect. Cool. All right. Well, listen, Paul, I want to thank you for coming on and sharing your story and, and you know, really this mortgage business right now, it is ever changing as it always is. Real estate is a never-ending target that moves constantly and it shifts. But there's value and opportunity in shifts. Don't let this shift like pass you by, it's still there, it's still gonna be here for a while, but there's opportunities is here, opportunities coming, you can make money even if the market's going down and it'll still probably go down a little bit, but there's still deals out there today that will pencil and work. But you need a loan to be able to get it done and having a relationship with a mortgage broker is probably more important now than ever to really understand what is available and how does that capital stack look and act and work, right? Understanding your money is a huge part of it. But Paul, I'll end it on this though, you said it best, Uh, you're into your book, Uh, what's the name of the book again? Becoming Becoming Supernatural. Becoming Supernatural, ties into everything. What I heard him say was, the power of your mind is everything. Guys, I'm telling you right now, as you listen to this podcast, and you want to be successful in multifamily, you want to be just successful. Success starts at the very start of it is in between your two ears. It's in your mind. If you think it and you believe it, you can achieve it. And your paradise is absolutely possible.